All right. Hey, would you stand as we read the wonderful word of the Lord? Well, hey, let's read our scripture. Here's what the Bible says in John 14 and 9. It says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Does anybody know who made that statement? Yeah. So Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he told them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, We are so grateful that we get to know you through the person of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know if you have ever wondered what God was like, and if you are somebody who's been in the church for a really long time, I want you to think back to the days where you were just getting to know Christ. I don't know about you, but there was a point in my life where I really wanted to know what God was like. And can I be really honest with you? Throughout my journey as a believer, 20 plus years, I still want to know exactly what God is like. How many of you know when you read the Bible, it can be confusing sometimes. There's uh, conflicting stories if, if you just only read it in part, and especially if you listen to what others say about God, the stories can be really conflicting. And if you have read your Bible in parts, you don't get the full picture of who God really is. If you are just familiar with the Old Testament, well, you're only familiar with a part of God. And if you're only familiar with the New Testament, then you're only familiar with a part of God. If you're only familiar with what others have told you about God, then you're only familiar with that. And I got to say that without a full picture of who God is in the Old Testament and who he is in the New Testament, you don't have a complete picture of who God really is. Now, Today, we're going to start a new series called Reveal. Somebody say Reveal. What we want to do is we want to take the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and not keep them separate. We want to bring them together as we say, as believers, we we say that God is one God. We say that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're three persons, but they're one. I think sometimes we really struggle to make them one. We understand concepts about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but truly understanding that they're actually one. I think the enemy loves it when we're confused about that. See, I think the enemy loves that when we start thinking like this, that when we give our heart to Christ, Jesus loves us so much, but if you fail, Daddy's coming to get you. Jesus loves you so much, but if you fail and you do him wrong, then daddy, if you cross Jesus, daddy is coming to get you. You better watch out. Now, if you ever have had any thinking like that, like I have, then this series is for you because there's a simple truth and a simple fact that the enemy loves when believers and non-believers, when there's a disconnection between God the Father and God the Son. They are the same God. You're familiar with God the Father under the system of the law. And we're familiar with God the Son under the system of grace. Same person, same God, but two completely different systems. And what we try to do is we try to merge those systems together as we merge God the Father and God the Son together, and it doesn't work that way. So let's talk about that today. To have a relationship, a full understanding, a full relationship with God 
is to understand the God of the old and the God of the new, leaving the old system, the, 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 the old law in the Old Testament, and bringing in only the new. Now, it's so important for us to understand the Old Testament has its place. It's so important. It's so valuable. We would not know that we're lost without that. And as a matter of fact, the Old Testament doesn't disappear. It's just that it was completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That's what's so cool about it. So how do you think personally about God the Father and God the Son? I want to ask you a question, and, and uh, this might kind of help you to see whether or not you're thinking of them as exactly the same. Question number one, what does God think about us when we are good? Or when, we're, when we perceivedly think that we're doing good. How does God think about us when we perceive ourselves as bad? How does God perceive us when we're in pain or we're hurting? God. Let me ask you the same question. What does Jesus think about us when we are perceived that we're doing good? Is it the same as what God thinks? What does Jesus think about you when you are perceived personally as, I'm doing bad? Does Jesus think the same thing that the Father thinks, God thinks of the Old Testament? Does Jesus in the New Testament think the same thing as him? How do you think he feels about you when you're in pain or when you're hurting? Jesus, what does he think about you? If we don't get to know Jesus in the new and God in the old, we don't get a full picture of who he is. Why? Because God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. I want to say that again for you. God has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus. This series is called Reveal. What does the word reveal mean? It means to disclose something. Now, when you buy a house, you have to sign a disclosure agreement. This agreement simply says this. I agree to disclose everything I know about this house. In other words... All the good and all the bad of this, I'm going to tell you everything so that when you decide to buy this house, you know the good, you know the bad, and you know the ugly. You have all the information. You need nothing hidden. That way, when you buy this house, you have a full understanding. The word reveal means to have full disclosure, nothing held back. Over the next three weeks, when we dive into this series called Reveal, we're going to talk about three different things that the person of Jesus came to reveal to us. So we see that Jesus said in the New Testament in John, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I came across this really interesting statement. It makes a lot of sense to me and it's confused some others because I've asked some other people about it. But now knowing what you know about why Jesus came, this statement says this, Jesus came to reveal God's likeness not his otherness. Jesus came to reveal God's likeness, not his otherness. Jesus didn't come to reveal anybody other than God. He didn't come to reveal a nicer version of God. He didn't come to reveal God 2.0, the loving, graceful God. He came to reveal God himself, nothing other than God, but actually God himself. Today, the title of today's message is Jesus came to reveal the Father. That's one of the things that Jesus does in, in his revealing. He reveals the Father. To fully disclose the Father. Everything that the Father is. He has said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, 
This is not the same type of of scene or likeness that you would see in natural relationships. In other words, um, let's see, uh, Pastor Benson and his son Chad, they look a lot alike. You would look at them and say, oh my goodness, their face looks exactly the same. Chad just is a younger version. I wish I had a picture of it right now. This is not the same likeness that God the Father and God the Son have. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about in just physical likeness. He's talking about incomplete likeness. It's not like, oh my goodness, look at Jesus. They're like Mary was not like, look at him. He has his father's nose. I guess not like that at all. Jesus came to actually reveal not just the image of the father, but the father himself in character and in nature and in deity. It's important for us to understand, we're going to take a look at Uh, the opening verses in the book of John to see what John had to say to us about Jesus being the Father. Now, I want to help you to understand a couple things before we read read these verses. John was simply um, writing to tell the story about Jesus. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, the first four books in the New Testament, they all tell the story of Jesus. Now, John tells the story quite different than the other three Gospels do. Now, by the way, these four books, they're called the Gospels. The Gospel simply means good news. So as John, one of the 12 disciples, writes this story about what he encountered with Jesus, it's amazing what he has to say. John, by the way, he wrote this story 60 years after he last saw Jesus in the flesh. Now think about that. John in his 90s, retelling everything he experienced and lived with Jesus in his 30s. That's kind of amazing to me. I mean, at 40, I can't retell things that happened in my 20s. I just forget. So John in his 90s, he was a sharp old dude to reaccount things in the way that he reaccounts them. Now, John was writing this letter to the people of his day. So it's important to understand that his audience, they were Greeks and they were Jews. So when John wrote this, he was, re- he was specifically writing to a particular group of people using a language that this particular group of people would understand. And the cool thing about John as he writes this in ways that the other writers didn't write it, he doesn't write listing out all the details of G- Jesus' lineage. He doesn't bother with that. And he doesn't even bother with the the historical count of Jesus' birth. He doesn't do that like the other gospel writers do. Those things are important, but John obviously didn't want that to be his driving opening statement. So what did John do in his driving opening statement to uh, tell all of the people of the day about Jesus, the person that he encountered? John goes straight into the spiritual implications of what Jesus is, who he is, who he came to reveal, and what he came to do. So let's read about this. What did John want the readers of the day to know? Here's what he said in your notes. God was in the beginning. Now, by the way, John 1 and 1, that's where we're reading from. John 1 1, very beginning of the book. Here's what John says. In the beginning was the word. Now, many of you have read this a bunch of times before, but... Before we read on, understanding that he's speaking to Jews and Greek, they were very familiar with what John was saying. Why? Well, when we look at this, in the beginning was the word, we read this a little differently than the readers of the day read it. 
That original word right there, word, is the word logos in the Greek. Now, I'm going to revert, refer to a few times through the message today some original words. Why? Because the Bible was not originally written in English. It was written in, uh, the writers of the day was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And the words that they use when it's translated over to English don't completely capture exactly what's happening. And that's kind of what's happening here. So we see in the beginning was the word. What does the word mean? Well, to the Greeks of the day, here's what the word meant. The word logos means a divine utterance. So when they were looking at this and John said, in the beginning was the word, they were like, yes, you're right. In the beginning was the word. We remember. We remember when the word was divinely uttered to Moses. We know that God. Absolutely. So you're saying to us, John, that God was in the beginning because in the beginning was the word, the divine utterance that we all know about that was spoken to Moses when the Ten Commandments were given. We love that God. We are all about Moses and God. We are all about Yahweh. Now, the other, the other uh, word uh, that is translated, logos, that can be translated to is the, the phrase of this. It's, it's meaning an, an embodying idea. And they're like, absolutely Absolutely, these Ten Commandments, they are the embodying idea of who God is and what he expects from us and what he wants from us. And they were amening John. They're like, yes, John. So John has their attention. He has their full attention as he's writing this letter to the people of the day. So they are with him. Can you imagine the people like amening John as John is the, the awesome preacher, John, declaring the word to the people? So they're like, preach it, Johnny boy. Bring it to us. We love it. We love our beloved God who gave us our Ten Commandments. We love these commandments so much that we live our lives by them. And we treasure them. And we hold them close. And we make sure that others treasure them too. And we make sure that others hold them close too. And that when others don't follow those ten, we make sure they're held accountable. John, you are on point, baby. We are with you. Now... Here's something to keep in mind that these Ten Commandments, this tradition, this word, so that the audience thought the Ten Commandments, that was also their tradition. That was also their trap. This was like the people of the day, their way of keeping God in a little box. And this next statement that John brings to them shatters their little box. And he throws them this gigantic curveball. So what is John, as he's writing this, wanting the readers to know? Well, we know he wants them to know that God was God in the beginning. And they're like, yes, we're with you. And so here's the curveball that John throws at them. The curveball that he throws them. And then he says, and the word was with God. Now, you've got to understand what this phrase means to understand why it's such a curveball that was thrown at them. The original word for the word with means face-to-face. -face. So what was John telling them? John was saying, God is the word as you know it. God was face-to-face -face with himself in the beginning. Just like you're going, what are you talking about, Sean? Well, that's exactly what the listeners were, were, were wondering too when they heard John say that. They're like, John, are you crazy? Are you, what do you mean in the beginning was God and God was face-to-face -face with himself. God was face-to-face -face with God. They're kind of going, how is that possible? How is it possible that God could be face-to-face -face with himself? And 
John is speaking in a language that almost that, that represents that, that God is literally standing there face to face with somebody else who is God. They, they're scratching their heads. They're kind of going, what is going on? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to be face to face with yourself? It's hard. It's so hard. I mean, please don't try it. Modern technology, we, we, I mean, we can just look in a mirror. But, but when God was in the beginning and all of this was going on, before the earth, before the world was created, there's no such thing as water reflection. So it couldn't have been that God was staring at water at himself in a mirror. It wasn't like that because nothing was created yet. That God was staring face to face with himself. The only way I know how to get face to face is if I look in a mirror then I see face-to-face a perfect reflection of myself. So John is speaking to this audience. I'm sure you said it's a pretty amazing face-to-face encounter as I look at myself in the mirror. Thank you, Chris. Um, so John is speaking to these people, and they're kind of confused because they're going, but I, John, the Lord God is one. That's what we know in the Old Testament. The Lord God is one. The Bible declares it. So they're kind of going, if the Lord God is one, and you're telling us that the Lord God is actually two, I think we have a problem, John. We need a translation. What John was trying to help the readers of the day to understand is, guys, God is not what you think. You think the Lord God is one. He is, but he's so much bigger than you think. And you don't have a full picture of him until you see all of him, and you haven't seen all of him yet. So, can you imagine them going, okay, John, can you clear this up for us? So, John, if the Lord God was there in the beginning, and he was standing there in the beginning face-to-face with himself, with God, we don't understand how that works. So, can we get a name for this other person? Just help us out. We, We need a name for this person. And here's John's reply. You guys read it with me. It, by the way, I don't know if this story was laid out that way, but this is Sean's crazy mind reading the book of John, wondering what the people were thinking. So John is like, in the beginning was the word, God, that gave you your Ten Commandments. You love him, you know him. And the word was with God. God was face to face with himself in the beginning. Then he says the third statement, and give us a name, John. And the word was God, guys. By the way, people always say to new believers, read the book of John. And it's the, the greatest, the, the greatest um, way to understand Jesus and the story and the life of Jesus. But I, John 1, 1, how do you even get past that? It can be so confusing for a new believer. So the people of the day had to be going, John, are you messing with us? We asked you his name. First of all, you told us God was in the beginning, and we're with you on that. But then you told us God was face-to-face with God in the beginning. So you're telling us there's someone else with God in the beginning. And now you're telling us his name is God? Are you out of your mind? Are you messing with us? I, I would be ticked if I was in the audience that day. I would be mad at John. I would be like, John, stop messing with me, bro. Let's just lay it straight. I don't like these little stories that you're giving us. But John is trying to drive a strong spiritual and biblical truth to the readers of the day. What was John wanting his readers to know? He was wanting them to know that God was there in the very beginning. 
and that there was also somebody in the very beginning, and that someone that was there in the very beginning was so much like God that it was as if they were face-to-face staring at each other in a mirror with a perfect mirror image of one another. Now, Christians, we often call the word the Bible. We're not wrong by saying that, but the, the truth is that the Bible that we read is really Christ revealed. That's why we would call it the word, but that's not, John's not talking about the Bible here. John is talking about someone else. Okay, John, stop messing with us. Really? What's his name? I can imagine them asking him again. Like, John, please tell us his name. So we got to get all the way down to John, John 1 and 14. So we got to skip down to verse 14 before John tells us who this person's name is. So tell us, John, who is this mirror image of God, this person who is the exact reflection of God? Who is he? He's with God in the beginning. We want to know his name. You're calling him God, but help us out. So then he says this in verse 14. And the word became flesh. So they knew who God was in the beginning that gave the Ten Commandments. They were with that. This is when the revelation came to them. He said, that God who uttered the Ten Commandments actually became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the one and only Son. Who is the Son? Who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So the third thing that John is driving to this audience today, he's wanting to know that God was in the beginning. And there's somebody else in the beginning with God that was a mirror image of God. And when we get down to verse 14, we find out who this person is. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the same as the divine utterance of the one who spoke the Ten Commandments. He is the embodying idea of God. So if we reread the scripture, knowing what we know about these original words, we would read the scripture like this. I wish I would have gave this the clay to put on the screen, but I did not. It's not his fault, it's mine. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. Not only was he with God, but that word with means face-to-face. They were a face-to-face, perfect reflection of one another. And Jesus was God. I want to make a statement for you today. To be face-to-face with the word is to be face-to-face with God. Let that sink in for a moment. To be face-to-face with Jesus is to be face-to-face with God. Jesus is not God 2.0. He's not the grace version of God. He is God. You want to know what God is like? Sure, you can read about him in the old. You can understand his justice, and his justice demands judgment. But you also have to understand that was under the law. When we live under grace, the law was completely fulfilled. So to know God is to know Jesus. When you get to know Jesus, it's just like being face-to-face with God the Father. Not a different God, but actually God himself. It's so amazing to me after 23 years of preaching the gospel and reading this and teaching on God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. It just seems to me personally that in the last couple years I'm finding this fresh new revelation 
that Jesus is actually God. And he's not God in the same way that humans are like one another. Because if I say that Chad is like his father, it's nothing like that at all. It's not like there's certain little similarities. It's like, no, they are the same person. That's what God the Father and God the Son are like. It's not like Pastor Chad or Pastor Mike and his son Chad. They're a little bit alike. No, it's not like that at all. It's like they are absolutely one. The enemy loves to get in our human thinking try to make God the Father and God the Son in, that, in the same way that we understand human relationship. They have a relationship like that, but they are 100% one. Why did John start his writing out like this? Because he wanted us to understand that he, God, revealed himself to you and I through the person of Jesus completely. Full disclosure, full revelation. I want to make a couple um, uh, opportunities for us to apply this information to our heart. It's important to apply new frameworks of thinking into our heart. And we do it by, by the way we pray, by the way we read, by the way we talk. That's how we apply things into our heart. So as you read and you see Jesus, you say, thank you, God, for revealing yourself to me. Thank you that you are showing me yourself. As you pray and you're talking to God and you mention the word Jesus, that you are understanding that Jesus is God, not a separate version of God, but he's actually God. And he has fully disclosed himself to us through the person of Jesus. Here's the things we want to apply to our heart. Number one, Jesus is the visible father. To see Jesus is to see God the Father. That's what Jesus told his disciples. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians 1 and 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. For the first time in all of human history, the invisible God that nobody saw except Adam in the garden, the full version of God, is made visible to all mankind through the person of Jesus. Why? Because he personally wants to know you. So he brought himself down in the form of a human being for some other reasons that we'll talk about in future weeks so that you can understand, I can have a relationship with that person. What is the second thing that we want to apply to our heart? Is that Jesus is the mirror image of God. So not only did he make himself visible, but he's the mirror image of God. Colossians 2 and 9 says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What does that mean? For in Jesus, everything that can be revealed and disclosed, all information about God, his love, his justice, his kindness, his grace, everything that there is to know about God is fully revealed in Jesus. I want to make another strong statement for you. Any thought about God that is unlike Jesus is not the Father. I want to say that again. Any thought about God that is unlike Jesus is not the Father. If you want to know what the Father's going to think, respond, or say, look at the Son. What does He think about? How does He respond? What is He going to say? I want to take a quick look as we get ready to close in the next five minutes. There's three things that we're going to take a look at in the person of Jesus to see how the Father, God, responds to us 
The first thing is, he's a friend of sinners. We see in Matthew 11, we see Jesus being accused of eating and drinking uh, with the drunkards and with the tax collectors and with the lost sinners of the day. We see that God does not remove himself from lost people, but he steps into the space, into the world of lost people. He makes himself present with him so they can get to know him. When we say things like, I'm not hanging out with those people, look at the filth they're involved in. They're going to pay for what they did. It reveals to us that there's a disconnect in our hearts and our minds between how you think and how God the Father is. Because Jesus would say, hey, those are my friends. Those are the people that I hang out with. Don't talk about my friends like that. I want them to know my loving kindness. And with you around, they don't get to see it. The next thing that we know about about God as we look at Jesus is that he is angry when it comes to legalism. The only time we really see God angry in the Bible, in the New Testament, through the person of Jesus, is when people are withholding the kindness and the love and the healing and the forgiveness of God. And they're making religion religion. We see this in Mark 3 and 5 when Jesus goes to heal the man on the Sabbath day. And all the people of the day were holding on to their religion, their original divine utterance of God. They were holding on to the God of the old. And they're saying, the God of the old says that we can't heal on the Sabbath. So what are you doing trying to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? Jesus looked at them and he said, the Bible says he looked at them with anger. And he was deeply distressed at the stubbornness in their heart. The third thing that we know about God as we look at Jesus is that he is a healer when it comes to broken saints. Here's what I want to say as well, that truthfully, he's the healer when it comes to everybody. But I want to zero in on broken saints for a moment. There's not something that hurts worse when somebody sells you out. A friend, a believer, somebody who should know better. When somebody stabs you in the back. Well, how does Jesus respond to people who stab him in the back? We all know the story. Jesus was in his darkest hour, the worst moment of his life. Stab him in the back any other time. Like, stab me in the back when I'm on my A game. I'm like, I'm like, pink. let's go. But stab me in the back when I'm at my worst hour of my life? That's what Peter did. Jesus just died on the cross. And people saw Peter and they were like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter's like, no. I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never met him in my life. Peter absolutely denies and betrays Jesus in his darkest hour. And how does Jesus respond to that denial? How does God respond to denial? You might go, well, that Christian over there denied God and betrayed him. Man, God's going to get him. If you don't get it together, God's going to get you. Did Jesus get Peter? Did Jesus go, Peter, do you know what you did? You hurt me, Peter. You should ask for my forgiveness. You should beg and crawl back to me. I'm God. He didn't do any of that. He just, he didn't say, well, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to have a relationship with Peter until he comes back to me and acknowledges what he did is wrong. And I'll be over here, but when he figures it out, I'll, I'll be his friend then. But no, no. Jesus went to Peter, the one who stabbed him in the back, 
And he didn't ask him anything other than, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. The Bible says in that exchange, in that conversation, Jesus restored Peter and his relationship back together. Not only did he restore it, he also restored Peter's call. And he told Peter, go feed my sheep. Go do what I originally called you to do. Some of you think that because you failed, you have disqualified yourself from preaching the gospel and doing God's plan and his will for your life. And that's a lie from the enemy. If you want to know what the Father is like, get to know Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. He's angry when it comes to religion and legalism. And he's a healer when it comes to the broken. Our takeaway for today is this. Jesus came to reveal the Father as a perfect reflection of himself. I'm going to say that again. Jesus came to reveal the Father as a perfect reflection of himself. Wow. I mean, God is amazing. We are living in a season of grace. We all know Jesus is going to come back. We all know when he, when he comes back, that window of grace is over. But while we're here on this earth, if you want to know what God is like right now, get to know Jesus.